My name is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips, success strategies and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now, please do like, share and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. My guest today is Helen Kings. Now, she is the Managing Director at Touchstone and she's also Non-Executive Director at Siren Sester Housing. Helen was recently recognised as a leading light for kindness in leadership. And I say a big yes to that. Can't wait to catch up. We haven't seen each other since we worked together briefly at Compass Group um, several years ago. So I'm looking forward to hearing everything that you've been up to, Helen. We're coming out of lockdown. Tell me, how are things going for you just now? Hi, Angela. Yeah, so lockdown has been interesting. I think, you know, in one hand, I'm counting my blessings. I'm lucky that my family are safe and well. And as a business, you know, we still very much have a job to do throughout lockdown, which certainly isn't the case for everyone. So I do consider us really lucky, actually, that we can do that and that the vast majority of our people are working safely from home. That said, it's a pretty scary time and a pretty anxious time. I think we all feel a little bit like there's some things around the corner that we don't quite know what it is yet. So, yeah, quite mixed. Certainly enjoying the extra time at home, certainly enjoying not travelling as much, which is, yeah, fabulous, having a little bit of extra time with the children. I think what will be really interesting is to work out what comes next in terms of, you know, we've proven we can work effectively from home as a business. So what does that mean for us in the future? I don't quite know yet, but I think it will be really interesting to, to work that out. So, yeah, counting blessings, but it has been quite a difficult time. Yeah, you're right. It's a game of two halves, really, isn't it, for a lot of us? Lots of things to be grateful for, but then also lots of things that are pretty tough to work out. And one of the things that when we were chatting last time we spoke, you were talking about how you'd gone through the feat of getting everybody working from home and just what an incredible thing that is for all the businesses that are achieving that. And now it's the how to get everyone back to whatever we are going back to. It's just one challenge after another, isn't it? But you take it all in your stride. And taking it all in your stride is kind of where we're going to kick off, really, with you being able to really lean in and celebrate your own successes. So I like to call it the shake your pom-poms moment. But I'd really love it if you could just tell us about your three proudest moments, the most successful things that you've achieved. That would be brilliant. It's interesting how much I had to think about this, having listened to your podcast before. I think it's just not in our nature. about what we're proud of so it's a really good exercise to go through so number one to absolutely you know try and squish three into one my children are just the best thing I've ever done planned made had the privilege of watching grow up they have changed my life in so many ways and yeah there is nothing better but I am also really proud of the work that me and my husband have done 
in kind of creating a marriage and a family that is what we wanted for our children. Because I think any long-term relationship is difficult. You chuck some small children and two relatively big jobs into that mix, and it becomes <laughs> even more challenging. So we've had to be quite intentional about creating the life that we want. And I'm really proud of the work that we've done and continue to do with that. How old are your children at the moment? Uh, Ava is two and Alila is five. So we are sort of in the eye of the storm in terms of pressure and being needed um, from little Eve's. I was going to say, because that's pre-homeschooling, isn't it? So how do you keep two little ones entertained all day? Well, Alila is in reception, so she has had some work to be getting through. We've spent more time outside than I think ever before. Alila's learned how to ride her bike. Um, So, yeah, like everybody else, we are finding a way through very imperfectly, um, but managing somehow. But as we said earlier, it has been fabulous to just spend so much time together. It's been really lovely. It's a blessing. Yeah, indeed. Yes, so second work we do at Touchstone, you know, we manage about 20,000 homes. And to me, that's really important because of the work that my teams do. Effectively, that means that 20,000 families have homes that are safe, well-maintained, comfortable. And that kind of social purpose is really important to me that we do that as well as clearly provide a service to our clients. And then finally, slightly differently, I'm really proud of being a breastfeeding peer supporter. It was something that I trained to do a couple of years ago. I felt really passionately that there just wasn't enough support for mums and new mums breastfeeding. So I went through some formal training, which was the first formal training I've done in quite a long time. And I'm now a qualified breastfeeding peer supporter, which I do on quite an informal basis to friends and sort of friends of friends and local mums in the community. Um, But it's something I really enjoy. It's such an important role that I think, because when you're in that position of having a new baby, it's such a shock, isn't it? You get home with this little thing and you're like, yep. where's the manual that tells me what to do? And certainly lots of my friends have experienced real challenges with breastfeeding. I didn't even go there. But to be able to have somebody who can turn up and not necessarily be the expert, but be the support must be just so wonderful for that person, but also so rewarding for you to be able to help out in that way it's an incredible role it's it's amazing I love doing it and so much about it is just listening it's listening to stories and acknowledging that things are normal if people are worried about them and sharing Mm. experiences you know it's really not saying well this is how you do it and this is what you must do it is that very collaborative sharing of stories and yeah I adore doing it it's awesome it's amazing and a small part of what you do because you've got a big job And then you've got the non-exec job. But I think what's really interesting for me when I look at you and the way that you've progressed through your career is just the diversity that's made it where you are today in terms of the different roles that you've held, the different industries that you've worked in. So it'd be great to kind of have your take on walking us through how you've become the MD of Touchstone and where you've been along the way. Okay. So I started a working life really when I set up some summer camps, so daycare for children, when I was 17, 18, having done that, worked for other people doing that while I was at school and helping with brownies and scouts and all of that kind of stuff. And really, as a slightly arrogant 17-year-old, thought, well, I can do this better. Um, (laughs) I'm going to set something up. So I ran a summer camp for a couple of years, never really made any money. But from a business grounding perspective, it was incredibly useful. And it was the first time that I'd made a loss. So 
at about week two, I remember sitting down and looking at the numbers and thinking, my gosh, I don't think I've got enough money to pay my staff for the work <laughs> last week. Because I, you know, I haven't business planned it and worked out how many children I needed to break even and all the uh-huh. things that I would do now at nearly 40. I certainly hadn't done then. And that feeling in my tummy of thinking, I can't pay them. I don't have enough money to do this. And at the time I was working part time in a pub. So literally rang the boss of the pub and said, I need some extra shifts and spent the entire summer working at the day camp during the day and working at the pub in the night, literally to pay my team's wages until we got to a point where we had enough children to break even. And that's always stayed with me. I think when you work in a really big organisation, it's really easy to say, oh, we made a loss this month, but we're okay because we had a good month last month or actually another bit of the business did okay. That absolute knife edge of, no, we've made a loss, we can't pay people's wages has always stayed with me. And that importance of actually doing a budget and a business plan and closely financially managing a business has never left me, which I think is good. To learn at 17, my goodness me. I mean, talk about it's your money, isn't it? In that situation, it's your money you're playing with. And you're right, when we're in other businesses, it's really easy to forget the fact that you don't look at it like it's your money. But that lesson, as you say, staying with you has made you the astute businesswoman that you are. It's incredible. So where did that lead to? So I went and did a degree in English and philosophy, which was wonderful and really interesting, but not particularly vocational. And at the time I was graduating, it was when the internet was sort of getting big, but wasn't quite what it is today. And I remember sitting in the careers library at university with a black hardback book, which was the Times Top 100 Graduate Employers and narrowing it down to the top 10 in terms of the location I wanted to be in and who paid the most. And I think applying to the top five who paid the most and ended up (laughs) having a job with Aldi on their graduate scheme, which again was a, a massive kind of grounding in business. They take grads who know nothing about supermarkets and very little about business. And you effectively go through a year's training program, which starts with sweeping the floor, putting the stock out, working on the till, And you work your way up to being able to run a shop. And it's only once you can do that well that you get given your area. So I was, after about a year, given an area of, I think, four stores. And if the summer camps were where I learned how to run a business commercially, Aldi was where I learned how to be a leader. So of these stores, they all had incredibly capable, very, very experienced store managers all of whom were older than me, most of whom had children who were older than me and who I expect thought, who on earth is this girl um, coming in to, to try and stamp her mark and tell us what to do? And I really reacted to that by being very professional and very black and white and, and very formal. And that didn't work. And it took my boss at the time, a guy called Dan, coming to see me and saying, Helen, you're doing really well but you need to wear your pink shirt more often, which with hindsight sounds terribly sexist, but what he meant was this concept of bringing your whole self to work and bringing your femininity and the things that make you you, you need to bring that here to be successful. And that was an absolute line in the sand for me in terms of feeling confident that I could be myself at work and I could show vulnerability and using that to to build relationships. And so how did the people respond to that? Because if you were one person one day and then suddenly you were you the next what what did you see change in them it probably wasn't as overnight as that I think these things happen gradually but I think what I saw was as I was able to show sadness or worry or uncertainty or all of those things that we feel that we should hide 
actually that meant that they could show that too. And I think once you as a team or as an employee get to a point where you can have that honest relationship, your relationship moves on a hundredfold and you can suddenly get things done and you can suddenly have the conversations that move things forward. So it was hugely powerful, if slightly scary. (laughs) And a huge responsibility for you at a young age, but grounding you in the success that you've achieved today. But I'm interested to roll back before we move any further forward. What did you want to be when you were little? Well, I didn't really. My dad, absolutely amazing businessman, grew up in a very, very humble background in rural Gloucestershire. I think my grandfather was the grounds person on a big estate and my granny was the housekeeper. And my dad sort of left all that at 17, went to London to make his fortune started off putting labels on tins of paint at John Lewis and ended up as one of their board directors. So uh, literally just out of this world bravery, I, I can't even imagine. So I've always had this vision of my dad going off to London and doing something. I didn't really understand what it was, but I knew I wanted a part of it. And I can remember at, at about five or six going to the John Lewis office in Victoria. And I don't know if you know it, but it's a very tall tower. It's quite imposing. And just I'm feeling like Alice in Wonderland in this huge building that that had a restaurant and had a receptionist who was just beyond glamorous and watching these people in their shoulder pads because it was the 80s walking in and out of the door looking very busy and important and I just thought this is what I want to do I've got no idea what they do but but I want to be like this I wanted to be in business and I had no concept really of what that meant but I knew that was what I wanted to do And what about your mum then? Was your mum a working mum or was she stay at home? No, my mum worked. She was a teacher. So she worked in our local village school, which was perfect. I see now from a kind of mum work balance, I was able to be at the school that she taught at. So she, you touched earlier on kindness. You know, that's absolutely come from my mum in terms of her outlook, in terms of getting to know people, her volunteering commitments. She's absolutely been a leading light in my life from that perspective. So I feel quite lucky that I've had that balance from both parents in terms of feeding that into where I am now. Incredible role models. And they must be so proud of what you've achieved. I think so. We laughed the other day, actually. My cousin was talking about selling a house or putting it out for rent. And I said to my mum, do you think she should talk to me? Because that is what I do. I know quite a lot about it. And my mum sort of said, oh, really? Is that what you do, dear? Well, it's a bit like me looking at my dad. It's really hard to understand, isn't it, what people actually do on a day-to-day yeah. basis in this sort of wonderful secret world of business. So, yes, it I do. they are proud. I hope so anyway. Oh, I bet they definitely are. And what a beautiful story. It put me in mind of Mary Poppins when the kids go to the bank. It's that same yes. sort of thing. I can imagine the wonder in your eyes. So you knew you wanted to be in business as a little girl. Not quite sure what that was, but you went into this kind of enterprise at 17, learned some lessons there, and then kind of really developed your style through the work at Aldi. And then where did that lead on to? I had a brief stint at Summerfield. And then went on to Compass, which is probably where I started to move to a very big organisation and really realised that there was quite a big world out there that I wanted to go after. (laughs) And you don't Um, get much bigger than Compass, do you? (laughs) I mean, it is just the most phenomenal grounding for anyone, I think, to be in as a business because, you know, I had so many people to look at and so many people to think, well, I really like the way you do that. And, oh, I'm not too sure about this. And, you know, just from a learning perspective, I did probably four or five jobs in my 10 or so years in Compass, 
which was just brilliant to understand lots of different things. And still to this day, I find myself saying things and thinking, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened and this is what I learned from it. So, no, I mean, the big thing for me at Compass was moving into sales, having always been an operator. It was something I was incredibly reluctant to do. I thought that salespeople had shiny shoes and, you know, weren't very sincere, which I didn't feel (laughs) was kind of core to my values. But actually, I was invited to go. There's a lady called Carol Hudson, who you all know, who was amazing, who ran a sales academy. And I was asked to go on the selection day. And I I went quite reluctantly. And then by lunchtime, thought, my goodness, this sounds amazing. Right, I better better up my game here. I really want to do this. (laughs) And then spent a year alongside my normal job, really learning how to sell and those technical skills that that come into selling and and really enjoying that. And then moving into a sales role and a client retention role, and then ultimately on to Touchstone. And I guess the the thing about the sales role, and let's explore that a bit, because Often in a sales environment, you experience really amazing highs and then incredible lows, depending on whether you win or lose. And, you know, that sense of win-lose is so prevalent in that environment. So how did you cope with the lows? It was really tough. I've written bids where I feel like I've literally sent a little bit of my soul off with that bid. (laughs) Um, There are bids that really matter. And There's no getting away from the fact when you don't win, it is soul destroying. Mm. But much like everyone else, I pick myself up, get close to the team because, you know, it's never one person doing a sales bid. There's always a team involved and work out what we did well, what we need to do differently next time and move on. I think there's always a little bit of perspective that you can't allow yourself to dwell on things for too long. I remember reading somewhere that you allow yourself a set period of time. So you give yourself 10 minutes or a day to be grumpy about it. And then you move on and move on to the next one. And I think as a seller, that's something that's particularly important because, as you write, it's a much more up and down life than the life of an operator. And the highs are amazing. But Paul McGee calls it hippo time, just being able to Ah, kind of wallow (laughs) in the self-pity before you pick yourself up and bounce back again. But it is, it's tough to be able to do that, isn't it? And, And it is a case of forcing yourself almost out of it so that you can get focused on the next thing and learn the lessons at the point when you're ready to learn them. Now, what about self-doubt? Because, again, when you're putting yourself in that environment of win-lose, keeping the belief strong is really important as part of that. But self-doubt can creep in. So is that something that you've experienced? And how do you handle it? Yes, I'm just like everyone else in that I certainly have moments of imposter syndrome and self-doubt and wondering if I'm doing the right thing. Most um, days for me, Helen. So you're not <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think we all do to an extent. And I'm always surprised when I talk to someone who I think is really confident and realise that actually they probably feel the same as I do. In terms of dealing with it, I have a bit of a mantra that thoughts are not reality. And I'm conscious that just because I am thinking these things doesn't mean that they are real. So, you know, often it's as simple as saying, OK, I'm acknowledging that and I'm acknowledging that I'm worried about it, but I'm going to put it to one side and move on. I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I don't say that as a sort of, oh gosh, aren't I wonderful? I'm a bit of a perfectionist, (laughs) which a lot of people do as a kind of job interview question. I know that that means I can prevaricate, I can ruminate on decisions for far too long. So I often am saying to myself, sometimes done is better than perfect. And sometimes it's important to make a decision and do it and be humble enough if it's not working to pivot and do something else. But I think when you've committed to doing that, it's a lot easier than just to keep things moving along and hopefully succeed. 
I love that. That you know, that idea of acknowledging that it's there is the key thing, really, because it's when we try and ignore it and numb it and push it down, that's when it comes back to bite us. So the acknowledgement is key and it's good to hear you talk about that. So let's think about adversity then. So, you know, we've talked about self-doubt, imposter syndrome comes into it, but adversity is often the thing that really shapes us as humans and, and we all experience it to a greater or a lesser extent. Have there been times where you've felt that times were really tough and you've had to really pull yourself out of situations in order to move forward? Yes, absolutely. I think life effectively, whether personal or work, is a series of things that go really well and things that don't. And I have certainly had some really tough times in all of my different jobs when things haven't been going as I would have wanted them to do. I always think the first thing is perspective. There are things in every job that really, really matter. So in Touchstone, we manage some fire safety work, some gas safety work. That absolutely matters. And if we don't get it right, the consequences just I don't even bear thinking about. It could be absolutely disastrous. So from a perspective, perspective, they matter and we've got to get them right. But then there are so many things that don't matter. And I think in a big business, sometimes we kid ourselves. When I used to work for Summerfield, there was a big focus on availability. Now, clearly they're a supermarket. It's important that there is stock on the shelf. But because it's really easy to see, it's really easy to measure, it's really easy to compare it kind of became bigger than it should have been. So, I mean, I can remember at one point talking about anxiety, standing on the shop floor, feeling really anxious and really heart beating and tummy sick that there weren't jammy dodgers on the shelf and they hadn't been on the shelf for three days. It was literally a kind of end of the world feeling. And I had to give myself a bit of a talking to and say, okay, but in the grand scheme of things, this is not the end of the world. And there's a lovely phrase that people in supermarkets use, which is beans and bog roll. And it's just a, a way of reminding ourselves that, you know, we're not performing open heart surgery here. Yeah, there are things. Yeah, we're selling beans and bog So that's still around yeah, my head. Indeed. <laughs> Take yourself back to what you're doing. So, yeah, that's helpful. Perspective. Very easy to say, though. But when you're in those pressured situations and you run a perfectionist program, it can equally be as easy to get consumed in those tiny details mattering more than they need to. So what are the steps that you go through to actually get yourself in a place where you recognize it doesn't matter? Is it a thought process? Is it words that you say to yourself? Do you visualize something? Because I think it would be really interesting to try and unpick. Yeah, so I certainly have words that go around my head in situations like that. So done being better than perfect, being some bog roll, help me kind of ground slightly. I think For me, the best way, if I'm in a situation where we're under a lot of pressure or where there isn't a clear path to success, is to bring my team together. You know, I'm a big believer that we don't do these things in isolation. And and you mentioned earlier that I've moved across industries. I absolutely have. And one of the ways I've been successful in doing that is in building teams who have really good industry knowledge around me. So for me, I get a lot of energy from talking to people and from throwing ideas around and having that sort of bounce bounce around of, of what we could do. So one of my first reactions will be to pull my team together and sort of really just take some advice and some counsel um, to, to think about the best way forward. And as part of that, then, I'm guessing you're really good at demonstrating vulnerability because you won't have all of the answers necessarily if you've not got all of the industry experience. So let's let's just explore vulnerability and what that means to you. 
that was a really big thing for me when I came into the role that I do at the moment. So it's my first managing director role. It was my first role within the property industry. And yeah, I felt that I was in an office of 150 people who all knew more than I did, you know, which is challenging. <laughs> I think at that point, you have to take a step back and be humble enough to say, actually, I don't know everything. And actually, whatever I did, I wouldn't know everything. So what do I bring that's useful in terms of fresh pair of eyes and commerciality and leadership and all of those things? But actually, what do I need support in, which is often that sort of technical knowledge. Now, I'm in the middle of doing a qualification around it. So I think, you know, you do two or three pronged attacks on these things. You don't just rely on other people. I need to increase my own knowledge base. But having you know, a really strong team who aren't afraid to argue and put opposing opinions across is really important. And the way that you encourage people to have that diversity of thought is by showing vulnerability and allowing them to have differences of opinions. I never want to run a team where we all think the same thing. I think that's really unhealthy. Oh, absolutely. When people kind of hire in their own image. Yeah. Not and, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's never a good, never a good day in a business, that is it. So I really like that, the fact that you're able to recognise the strengths of other people and kind of use those to bolster where you are in the organisation and how you can drive it forward. That's really encouraging. And then you mentioned there that you were learning something new. So tell us more about that. It's exciting. Uh, yes. So I have just done a qualification with the Institute of Directors to really strengthen my directorship skills, which doesn't really sound like a thing but actually when you sign up to be a director through company's house you take on a lot of responsibility yeah and that's quite scary in a way I think particularly when you don't necessarily understand it so I need to further my knowledge base in terms of that so I'm in the process of doing a charter director qualification although that will take three years to do the whole thing and then I'm also doing a, a more specific property related qualification which actually has been quite heartening because as I'm doing the study, I'm realising that I do know most of it, which is, is always slightly relieving. But it's really good to learn things formally, I think, mm -hmm. even when you've sort of learned them through experience, to actually learn them formally is a really good thing to do. And then to test your knowledge and give yourself the confidence that you do know it. And so you're learning two new things and you are a mum and you are a director, a managing director, and a non-executive director, and you help people who are new to breastfeeding. So the big question is then, how on earth do you fit it all in? <laughs> like everybody else, <laughs> muddle along. No, I'm really conscious that, you know, this is a point in my life when there's lots of opportunities that I want to maximise. But what that means is that pretty much my life is family and work. And it means that the marathon I want to run and the yoga I want to get good at and the book I want to write are all having to wait. And I'm OK with that. It's a conscious decision that, you know, right now, while there are other things I would like to do, it's probably not the right time. And I think that's all you can do. I don't think that I'll ever look back and regret giving my career a lot and giving my children a lot. And I know that in a few years they won't need me anywhere near as intensely as they do now anyway, that they probably will want to sit on their tablets and not talk to their <laughs> embarrassing <run> mother. <laughs> so yeah, I am really conscious that there are periods in your life, aren't there, where you have certain opportunities and you have to grab them. And that means making sacrifices in other areas. So I will run a marathon one day, just not You will. <laughs> I have no doubt whatsoever. And you'll smash it. But I think you don't actually recognise how wonderful that advice is. Because there are so many women out there juggling the balls and feeling like they do need to also fit in the running and the yoga. And, you know, all of the additional self-care and the morning routine and everything else that is out there as an expectation. And actually what you're saying is 
it's okay to put some of those balls down, knowing that you'll come back and play with them another time, Definitely. but not now. You know, you say that so easily, but actually that's hugely valuable for people to hear. I don't think you probably realise just how valuable. So thank you for sharing that because it's going to help people to feel like it's okay. And um, just to put you under some pressure now then, seeing that, you know, you've put some balls down, I'm going to give you one to play with now in the five-second game rule. So you're going to give me three answers to a question and you only have five seconds. Are you ready? I am. Wonderful. Okay, so let's go with, in the five-second game rule, can you give me three things that you can do to perk up your mood? Ooh, Put some lipstick on. Listen to Bon Jovi, probably. (laughs) Um, And go and talk to somebody. Go and talk. Lipstick talking and Bon Jovi. Which song are we going for? Oh, Living on a Prayer. Obviously. (laughs) The seminal. Every time on full blast. So things to perk up your mood. Lipstick, Bon Jovi and talking. I love it. Easy. Easy. And now we're on to the big question. So... Do you know what's really fascinating about this question is I haven't had the same answer in 20 odd different podcasts. So it just shows that it is very much an individual thing and based on our own limiting beliefs, I think, a lot of the time. So for you then, Helen, what do you think is the absolute secret to success? So in a disgusting show of indecisiveness, I'm afraid I've got two. I'll do them quickly. The first one for me is about not giving up. I hark back to the fact it took me five times to pass my driving test to the extent that an instructor actually ditched me at one point because I was <laughs> his past stats. Um, but I persevered and eventually passed on the fifth time. And now nobody knows, certainly until this podcast, that that was how long it took. No. And it, it doesn't matter. I, I can drive. And if I'd given up after the fourth one, things would have been quite substantially more difficult and tricky for me. So I think not giving up, you certainly don't lose until you quit. But secondly, and, and even more importantly, is being nice to people. We touched on this kind leadership, but ultimately, I just think that people work well with people they like, they buy from people they like, they trust people they like. And the more honest, proper relationships we can have in the workplace and in our personal lives, just the better the world will be. So yeah, being nice, as simple as that. I love that. So persistence and not giving up and, and being nice. And it's difficult for many people to be kind, yeah. I feel. And the fact that we've not even talked about that, and we should have done, the, the kindness in leadership thing. So let's just touch on that quickly now, because I feel like it's important. How do you get recognised for kindness in leadership? How is that measured? In terms of technically the award, it was about gathering testimonials from people who I've worked with. But really, it's it's about not being an idiot um, in the workplace. And I think it's the reason the award was set up was about saying it's okay to be authentic. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be kind and treat people with respect and accept that actually in all kinds of studies done by Oxford Said and various business schools that prove that you get better results that way. Um, The old school way is, is no more. And we can all be successful and all be an awful lot happier if we treat people with kindness in the workplace. I love it. So a secret to success, persist and be kind. And we can all do that. There's nothing difficult about those two things if we apply it. So thank you. I love that in a nutshell. And thank you for being so open and 
sharing all of your stories with us. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and to see your face again as well. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I really enjoyed this it. Time. So I wish you and Touchstone all the very best and no doubt we'll catch up again in a future podcast when, you know, you'll be probably CEO of another amazing company, I have no doubt. <laughs> and um, I'll speak Thank to you very you. soon. Thank you, Helen. Thank you. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.